welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Um, welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, this uh, broadcast <laughs> is coming partly from New York and partly from uh, London, where um, I'm joined by um, Craig Maudsley and Bridget Agnew, um, who have just started literally in the past week, um, the Craig and Bridget Consultancy, after having spent a number of years in advertising and ad agencies um, and being widely respected leaders in the strategy and planning field. Um, so thank you so much for joining at such short notice. I literally pinged you as soon as I read the story and you were like, yeah, we'll do it. And I thought that's really nice of you guys. We're saying yes to pretty much everything at the moment, um, which might not be something to publicize on here so much, but uh, we figured it was the best way to learn really quickly is just to do loads of things. Yeah. So throw yourself into the swimming pool and do the deep end right away. Um, so Bridget, do you want to start just by explaining, giving us a little bit of your background, your sort of, I call it like the 60 second resume. I know yeah. it can't be possible, but um, we try. Of course, and, and you said very kindly at the, at the top that we've spent a few years in advertising. I've spent uh, three decades, I think, in advertising. Spent my whole, most of my career uh, working for creative agencies. Uh, the last 20 years of which I spent at Abbott Music as part of the BBDO Worldwide Network, working on all sorts of brands, both domestic and international. Right. And pretty much same same for me, but a slightly fewer years. So I'm 26 years in total, 16 years at AMV most recently, and uh, we've been working together there uh, as joint chief strategy officers or joint heads of planning before for for the bulk of that time, really. So certainly what 13, 14 years working together, sharing offices, sharing responsibilities. He still likes to remind everyone he's younger than me. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you did did you? Um, one of the things that fascinates me with strategy is the idea that we usually don't have a team. We we usually are the sort of supposed to be the smart people and everything falls on us. And do you guys work? Did you work together or did you divide responsibilities? How did it how was the, the co? Um, we, we did a bit of both, actually. Sometimes we'd work independently. When it came to the people and the, running the department, we tended to work together. And wherever possible, we would always collaborate because we've found over the years that we're better and the ideas we get to are better when we've had a chance to talk them through with someone else, just like a creative team works. And I still think that's true now. It's partly why we've set up our own consultancy. We know that we can get to better answers for clients, having another brain to, to, to share the problem with. And I think we saw it, we saw it particularly when we were um, when we were doing a lot of those people management things early on, which we which we resolutely did together, so there could be no kind of divide and conquer from the people we were managing. But we found that we would get uh, much better answers when we were dealing with some of these thorny issues with people who were, you know, they were in a difficult spot themselves. They needed certain kinds of support. We were trying to work out, you know, who might get that promotion or not, how we might manage the structure of the department. And neither one of us would have been able to do that on our own. We simply cannot understand how anyone could do that job on their own. And then over the years, we just extended that approach to the strategy challenges we got from clients. Um, when, when you think about, um, you know, going back to that point, I think of the, the solo operator, I think a lot of advertising itself is sort of a little guru-like, you know, um, especially here, it's an individual, you know, uh, uh, it's very rarely of a team. Maybe, and I don't, I don't even see it. I saw it in the UK where you'd always see headlines and campaign where it would be you know, creative team moves from BBH to TBWA or whatever. And that was always the concept of team. And um, you don't see that here at all. There mm. is no such thing as, as team. It's all about the individual. It's very much sort of a parallel to the culture here. 
Um, but I've frequently found that what I'm hearing from a strategy perspective when I talk to different people is facilitation and teamwork and running, turning the department into a team and using multiple minds rather than expecting them to be sort of lone wolves is a big change that we've seen in the discipline. So that's something you see, agree? Totally. I mean, I, I think it's been, it's that classic adage, isn't it? It's like the, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I think at the beginning of a career, and we used to see this with people in our department, some, some of whom have now gone on to really important jobs elsewhere, but when they start out, they feel like they have to kind of prove everything, do everything on their own. And then the more experienced we all become, the more we realize that we just don't have the answers. And um, you know, I think teamwork has become much more valued as we have been absorbing the tech economy into the broader economy as well, because we know how those guys work, where everybody is working together, scrumming, sprinting, all that kind of stuff. And I, th I think that kind of approach has, has kind of naturally bled into the broader economy and into advertising in general. Um, but I think sometimes the, the, the kind of there's a culture of humility in strategy, I would say, certainly here in London, where we're we're very much like you know not so much with the egos i would say a little bit of course but um i think that is also a great facilitator for, for teams and pulling teams together i think ultimately clients like to know there is one person that's accountable to them but that doesn't mean behind them they can't draw on those other brains and that other talent to help them get to a better place otherwise we're only as good as we're, we can be by ourselves. I, I have to believe that we're better when you can access a wider pool of talent. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Craig, going back to your point, um, which I think is really you know a fascinating one, which is you know more back, more brands, more companies have been sort of birthed in this tech revolution than we've ever probably seen in in sort of history, and you know there's a, there's an absolute proliferation. Of these of these brands, and you know, look at it's a joke here in the mattress category. There's like a hundred, hundred brands. Um, it seems like anyone can do it. Um, one thing I noticed is working styles. You know, just even in that with that group, um, I found it really interesting being in San Francisco and seeing those guys want to work in a very very different way to the way that an agency works. Yeah. Um, and how you get strategists and creatives to change that's quite hard because it's very it's very different we used to we grew up in a world where we made big presentations we took two weeks mm. and um, I remember a particular client telling me that was in the tech space um, our creative director because they had in-house creative took everyone out to an improv show on a Friday night and they came back and they started brainstorming and all over our war room, this is the client, there are ideas and we want you to come, <laughs> come and take a look. And when that was told to the creative department, it was not very well received. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it, it's interesting in that culture because having worked with a few of those guys, we've definitely learned from them and it's definitely part of the the philosophy of the business we're setting up now but there's a one of the things they have is a much greater directness and robustness around ideas there's none of that preciousness and there's a feeling of like okay you've done this thing i'm going to tear it to bits and and sort of subject it to pressure to see you know in the same way you might with a piece of software or something and debug it um and like for old school creatives and old school strategists it's like that's just horrifying you know and there's, there's this dancing around the egos of people and i think We've really enjoyed in recent years the sort of, I would say, the kind of fast frankness and the raggedness that you get when working with a few tech startups as we have lately, because you're just working with super smart people that uh, the best of them are really hungry to learn and they want to know why you did what you did, how, how it came about, how they can help make it better. And a lot of the tools that, that you know we use to, to run our own business now is just totally open you know we, we only work in collaborative documents you know we don't do any of the kind of you know we'll go away in two weeks and then come back and present to you it's like from the minute we start there's an open document the client's in it we're in it um and it's a much better way to work for everyone and people enjoy it more and are willing to you know pay more for it as well 
Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, the the idea of of co-authorship uh, that that this is a this is something that belongs to us all rather than just yes. one group. I think it's really interesting. Um, the other area that mm -hmm. I, I think is sorry. 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 It doesn't mean you can't make a recommendation at the end. I think it's always a worry that we're somehow outsourcing the decision making. We're yeah, not. We're just right. throwing all the workings along the way to get to that point. Yeah, and it means yeah. that you move quicker. Yeah, yeah. What's your, what are your thoughts on um, this idea? I kind of mentioned it. My points that that I've talked to a lot of strategists who are actually way happier now they left their agencies than they were working inside. And I feel that's partly because they've got more respect um, and partly because um, their domain is larger. The, the, the idea that strategy is more than an ad campaign. Hmm. Well, or, I think the first thing we should say is we've had, an ama we've had amazing careers working on the inside of agencies and we've loved it. But I guess the, the temptation is when you work inside, the answer is always communications in some way. And as a strategist, you want to get your hands on all the different marketing levers to pull. So, yes, you have a slightly broader remit, I guess, when you're on the outside. Yeah, I mean, we're really happy so far. <laughs> Three <laughs> days in. But I, I think over the years, one of the things that we've seen is it does feel a bit, I don't know if our horizons are broadened, but it feels a bit like our, our sort of, um, scope for making a difference has narrowed and narrowed to an extent where where it really just becomes the focus on can you say the magic words which will inspire the creative team to do something amazing as opposed to the broader impact that it feels like we perhaps used to have some years ago and, it, and that may be to do with marketing's um, area of expertise narrowing down a little into communication only as well so sometimes the clients that you're speaking to just don't have the kind of latitude that clients in the past used to have around decisions about product or pricing or distribution or any of those things. It's really just about promotion. Yeah. We were talking about it earlier, Craig, and, I, and it's partly because I think when we started, everybody knew where the audiences were and you spent most of your time working out what the brand should stand for and what its meaning was and how you could um, persuade people that you had something interesting. And now because you have to spend a lot more time finding those audiences and working out the right places to be, the time that you spent on brand tends to get squeezed a bit more, just because the world is more complex, the media landscape. Media landscape, yeah, for sure. And, and then and I think that has um, given rise to this whole fragmentation of, of strategy of now, now there are a hundred different job titles with strategy in them. And you know, I've seen people say, "Well, you need a you need a Facebook strategist and a Pinterest strategist because they're completely <laughs> different." <laughs> and um, yeah, there's. I mean, I think that's the um, big change for agencies. To me, is the battle. I would see strategy and, and agencies as being guardians of two things: the, the, the consumer and the brand. And if they lose, if those, if the importance of those pillars um, wanes and, you know, people don't care about brand anymore and they don't care about consumer anymore, then that makes life very, very hard. And I, I, I felt that, I felt that agencies didn't do enough to reinforce the idea of the importance of brands or reinforce the idea that understanding your consumer beyond the basic data um, was a really important thing to do. I absolutely agree. And I think it's, it's part of what we're, I mean, it's happening outside of agencies and, and hopefully that's part of what we're doing. And I think some of it comes down to what Bridget was saying earlier, which is we now spend so much time. If I, if I reflect back on the years, we spend so much time now just talking about channels mm -hmm. and the shift in those channels, as Bridge was saying earlier, is now that anything that comes along, as you say, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or Pinterest or Twitter or whatever TikTok it might be, the agency and the client are no longer the authority on how best to use those channels. It's often the media owner or, of course, 
the people who are in the channels themselves. Nobody feels the confidence to be able to say, right, this is our brand, this is our message, this is how it connects with the people. So we're going to put it in these channels and it'll be fine. Because as soon as you're into any of them, the client's going, oh, is that best practice in a Facebook in-feed, blah, 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 or is that the right way to use a Instagram stories? And the, the mechanics of the channel have come to overwhelm the dynamics of the brand. So certainly for weak, weak brands or brands that are perhaps not managed as robustly as they should be. And I, don't, I think it's, it's the agency, again, continuing to be pulled totally downstream, purely executional, no real power or authority versus either the client or the brand or the, um, or the channels themselves in those alone. I remember seeing, I remember watching something, Craig, you did. I think it was a presentation on the lottery, a pitch. Was it, was it like an APG event? Yes, it was. It was a good one. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, what, what I learned from that was this, this idea that getting to the heart of the problem, what is the problem and what did, how does data, you know, you suddenly, I always thought of, strategists in London as being really good sort of semioticians and really good the, the thing about the thing you notice when you come to the States is how small England is and how colloquial the language is. And you know, I remember the like the gold the great gold greenleys trot ads. And there was some they were just zeitgeisty language. Mm-hmm. And it, and it was it was that was a, that was a real core skill, and it couldn't have been further away than from from sort of mining terabytes of data. You know, those <laughs> two worlds seem sort of almost diametrically opposed. They should yeah. be. They should work together, though. For a long time, we always believed that if you could get to a really interesting take on the numbers to help define the problem, and an interesting bit of behavioural psychology that could unlock it, that was those two together were often gold dust. I think the lottery was exactly those two things from memory mm. yeah i mean the, the interesting thing though of course the, the thrust of that presentation was that we found the right answer we proved it was the right answer and it didn't matter because that wasn't what the clients were looking yeah, yeah. for and yeah. and that that's the kind of moment of a moment of insight i would say in terms perhaps of where the elements of the industry have gone also a moment of insight into I I don't think as agencies and certainly in our agency we don't spend enough thinking about the psychology of those moments for clients I think we spend a lot of time thinking about what's their business problem and how can we come up with some great ads the psychology of what's going on in those moments is probably greater and it's got nothing to do with their brand or their business model or their customers or anything Um, you know it's about them as individuals how they feel about themselves how they feel about their colleagues you know what, what how their how their ego is or isn't playing a role at that moment you know their brand perception of the agency they're working with all these things that we didn't spend any time on at all in that example we just we spend a huge amount of time trying to work out what the right answer was and that wasn't the right answer yeah well this is this is like the story about the pitch yeah, yeah. and and yeah I, I i spent a long time trying to explain to people I think especially here where it is seen as a contest. Mm. You're either a winner or a loser. And if you lose, that means you just your work wasn't good enough. Yeah, but it's very seldomly about that, is it? Yeah. Very seldom. There's a very famous story here about um, a massive pitch that um, the guy leading the business um, was so understood so much that he needed personal time with the CMO and unless he had personal time with the CMO, that was not, they, they weren't going to win. And every day he asked his assistant to call uh, the CMO and try and get an appointment and um, kept not getting through until four days before when the CMO said, yes, we need to meet tonight. And basically told the agency head what the strategy needed to be. Who then had to come back to the office and tear up everything mm. being done. Did um, they win? Yes. 
it's interesting your numbers point though. I have um uh, again, I think probably we've both noticed over time, um, we've had to train a lot of the junior people coming into the industry more around numbers. It's not their natural go-to answer for things. And I, I do think that has been a shift over time where they've they're more immersed in uh, and for good reasons, more immersed in cultural understanding or as we've talked about the channels. And yeah. just giving them the discipline of saying, go back to the numbers, go look at the business, find something in that. I'm not I'm not sure whether Bridget and I have I mean it feels as though we have slightly um uh, atypical uh, experiences because Bridget has a degree in economics I have a degree in business and that's uh, it became apparent to me after a few years that that wasn't necessarily normal in advertising or indeed in the strategy discipline and I think it's is definitely shaped the way we approach problems and the way that we've been you know developing departments over the years because whilst we've got really obsessed with data in the sense of the data that, you know, digital media throws off, the, the numbers and the data that we're interested in are like, okay, how does this business make money? And how can the thinking that we might do help them make more money or money in a different way or more profit versus revenue or whatever it might be. But un understanding how businesses work is, a, is an astonishingly um, marginal discipline within advertising agencies. And it's where the consultancies have... Absolutely. Right. Mm. But, but we have advantages versus them at, at our very best. And you know, I remember when we did, you know, one, one of the famous things Bridge and I have done together was the Sainsbury's Try Something New Today strategy, the kind of, uh, you know, £1.14 on every transaction. And I remember being in a room with someone from McKinsey when we were sort of taking the idea around the business after we'd won the pitch. And I remember her looking at me saying, well, where did you, where did you get the, the data from? Where did you get the idea from? And I said, well, I, I used my imagination. And she, I remember her looking at me totally incomprehending, not really sure what to say. Now, clearly, we'd used our imagination, then found the numbers that backed it, and then discovered that we were right. But that initial lateral leap was was alien. And and again, I think in terms of what we're what we're hoping to do more of going forward, we don't want to become a, you know, a teeny tiny McKinsey because we'd 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 lose that fight on every level. But equally, we want to find a way to match what we think is a good understanding of how businesses work with a good understanding of how creativity works. Yeah, that seems to be that, you know, that that's that's a, a critical and, you know, absolutely key, key thing that you, you, you can be doing in a, in a way that, um, you know, other I, others can't. And I think that's always been the issue with consultancies is being that they they don't have the ability to to develop ideas or or don't understand or as much as however hard they try. It seems to be sort of a, a cultural it doesn't fit the creativity doesn't sort of fit into the culture of some new rational and left brain black box kind of thinking and the idea of the idea is not something that computes and I, I would say this i would say that's a similar truth with business you know i always think of business as being just these it's sort of supreme logistics it's about running the trains on time and that um that creativity is chaos. You're going. You're going to derail the system. Yeah. As they said. As they said to Steve. You know. As the the stories going around Silicon Valley when Steve Jobs was back at Apple is, he's got to be removed. He's a madman. You know. So you know. He's so not us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, we'll always be needed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I, what, what I what I what I thought was what I think is so interesting is this idea that you can build a narrative and, and a confidence with the client by demonstrating an under, that you have an understanding of both the data and the business and use that as a bridge to take you into sort of the human behavioral side. Okay, mm -hmm. what is it? How do we unlock this problem? How do we, how do we, we know the numbers, we know what we have to do, but we have to get people to do something differently. And I think as you were, as you were alluding to with that story and, and we were talking about earlier, you have to understand the psychology of the client as much as you have to understand the psychology of the customer, because, you know, so it's like we, we often like to say in advertising, oh, we, we came up with this amazing idea and then, you know, 
everything sold out, you know, because it, it gave them such explosive growth. And we've never understood as an industry, I don't think, that that's a disaster for a business. It's like, okay, you just totally screwed their supply chain. And you've also created such a spike in demand that they've had to leave loads of sales on the floor because they couldn't mm -hmm. fill them. It's like business is like gradual, stable increases, not sort of dramatic, huge disruptions. And, and we, we never understood that because we just love the drama too much, I think, as an industry. Yeah, we want to we want to demonstrate the, the power of our impact and, you know, as you say, the more dramatic it is. It, it is I think that's why the job is so unique and so special, though, because you have to both be able to diagnose the problem well, but begin to paint a picture of how you get out of it. And yep. usually people are good at one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you a question about data and 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 um, your experiences. You, you talked about having to teach your planners about numbers. But what about the people who are good at numbers or are data analysts? So I always found that's a challenge in getting them to be able to tell stories or actually be able to look in the right places to find that um, to find that weirdness, that interesting piece. Is that something you've found too? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right on, on both fronts because um, people that are good at data love patterns. And what you're looking for is the outliers or the oddities or something slight strange and quirky that's useful. Yeah. So yes, it's a different discipline. And I think sometimes it requires someone else to work with them. Hence, you know, we talked at the beginning of increasing teams and partnerships. Yeah. I think the best work is done when you have people that are looking at things from different perspectives that will get somewhere more interesting. And, and I think the very best of them, we, we are our previous head of data and insight at, at AMV, a guy called Raj Natwani, who we're, who we're still working with on a few bits and pieces at the moment, is, is an extraordinary data person that often can't work out what the story is. But the reason he's brilliant is that he loves, he loves working with us to see what bits we're interested in. Mm -hmm. so he's, he's got this great kind of feedback loop whereby he'll he'll just give us a load of data and we'll say oh that bit that bit and that bit and then every time he does it he learns a little more about why we like that thing or what kind of story we're trying to tell and then you get this really nice feedback loop where he remains his data self he's never going to be the most compelling emotional storyteller and i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that um but he kind of gets to work out which bits of data we're responding to and look for more like that mm. Um, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch talking about. Um, you said a, a, the um, early part of the conversation. You were talking a lot about management of talent, management department, mm -hmm. and um, it seems like a big issue right now. The sort of the the psychology, the especially in a, in a Zoom environment, how people are managed, um, and there's a lot of talk about sort of planners. I, I feel this is. Sort of crazy tension for planners and strategists right now. If, if they if they if they've read and studied the discipline and are firm believers in it, they're told that they should be radicals, that they should be pushing for new uh, and pushing for change. And then inside their organisations, they're often pushed back. They, they find that that's not welcome right now. And I think that for a young for young members of the discipline, I think is incredibly difficult for them to work out. I don't know if that's something you are conscious of. Well, I guess we've been slightly lucky in so much as we haven't been running the department in this COVID environment. Yeah. So I can't speak so much to the current environment. What I'd say is that I think you've got to create the culture that you encourage everybody to speak up and you do need some radicals, but you also need around the team people that know, know what to do with that thinking. So you don't want to destroy it, but you also need to know how it needs to evolve or be shaped. So we've always tried to create a structure where we, we nurture the more junior talent and make sure. We I think you have to create a culture within the organisation as well that offsets that broader kind of purist narrative that comes out of the ether. Because mm -hmm. we, we've witnessed quite, quite a bit with that generation you talk about where they're 
they're frustrated not only with the fact that the creative team won't listen to them in the way that they expect that they will, but particularly that the clients lack ambition. And they get really annoyed with the clients and they're like, why aren't they taking this thing on? I've come up with this great idea and why are they not doing it? And to an extent, you, you have to get them to think about what they're doing you know, from the perspective of the clients and to kind of at least have that ability to think, okay, well, what are they thinking when you're saying that? How can you better persuade them? Because I, I think there is that culture whereby particularly that generation in the industry think that, well, here I am and I've got this answer and I'm just going to broadcast it out there. And then people are obviously should be doing that because that's how this works, isn't it? And then you realize that it's not how it works because it, it again it comes back down to that psychology and you don't want to kill it in them because i think we all remember when we have that slightly more radical view of the world when we're young you've just got to help them know what to do with it i think the other mm. thing i'd say and, and we talked about this at the beginning which is we have the account planning group um network here and it's a really supportive um nurturing environment for, for planners and strategists and they look after each other and there's something that people take genuine pride in seeing what someone else has done because it's like it's it's what we all do and i i think that's quite rare and special and i feel honored that we have that i've always felt that the people in the particularly in our profession are really sort of complimentary about the things that somebody else does which which is great isn't it to have that yeah i i think i think it, you know craig you mentioned it earlier sort of like this it's sort of an egoless mm. discipline. It, it, it's, a, as you said, supportive. Um, there's quite a lot of sharing. Um, and I've always thought, I mean, we've, we've done a ton. We, we, we've got nothing close to the APG anymore. It used to exist. Um, but we've had, you know, we have annual conferences where strategists, three, 400 strategists get together. And it's always very interesting. It's always sort of um, mass psychiatry. Everyone yep. seems to be going through the same issues, and the fact that they find uh, kindred spirits who uh, who are sharing the same experiences is very cathartic for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I, th I think that's great. I mean, it's it's this, that's that's it's that support network. Uh, so. As you think, as you think on to the to the future, uh, and you're thinking about the future, and you're thinking about what clients need, um, what do you what do you think the most critical um, role that a strategist advising a client can do these days? I mean, what is what is the most important thing for them to do and to be seen as doing? I mean, the, the, I, I would say two things. Bridge may have a slightly different answer. Let's see, I, I would say it's it's a combination of clarity and partnership. And I, and I think that the thing that we do at our very best is we we define a path forward. We you know we make the choices that are required. And Bridge and I were chatting about a thing um, just yesterday where we were just sort of going right. What 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 are we trying to do with this client? And we just said it to one another. And once you can get a, a kind of set of decisions laid out to say right, this is how we are going to prosper. These are the things that we're going to do. We as a discipline, I think, are very very good at our best at telling that story, and it gives so much more kind of energy and clarity and direction to businesses to move to move ahead but I think that always has to be teamed with a real sense of in it together with the clients and and really hand in hand you know walking alongside one another not not leading them in that way you're giving them the tools to lead in their organization you're giving them the the kind of potential story and decision that they can that they can take to to get on that path to success but I think that partnership is is absolutely critical and again at our worst as an industry when we're in advertising industry there is that tendency to kind of go all right we're doing this so we can win some prizes and we can be great and we can make ourselves look really good and the clients are kind of just a tool they're a means to that end um genuine partnership I think is now needed more than ever because otherwise you just can't get anything done no, I totally agree. I, I, I really can't add anything to that. It's not always about being right. It's working out how you can be helpful. 
and and that means understanding what they need of course that means giving them something that's exciting and useful and good but it's got to ultimately help them do what they need to do it's not about us sitting there saying look how clever i am look how right i am yep and so you know to do that you need there's a sort of um it seems like old school account management skills like being able to empathize and understand what your client's going through and 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 be a true partner yeah, it's funny in the industry, isn't it? It's like we, we sort of delegate humanity to a department. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, you've got, you've got those creative people that are weird and difficult. And then you've got those strategy people who are like really clever. And then you've got the human being department in the middle that make everything work. And I think hopefully over the years, those just simple, as you say, kind of core skills of human beingness uh, are one of the main things that we've learned and have been able to graft that onto our strategy discipline and then made it one thing. I think I think I think what happens sometimes is that we let ob- object are kind of wonderful. We live in this sort of world that is not corporate mm. UK or not corporate America. We're we're surrounded by sort of crazy people and mavericks and and we sometimes we can't make we can't cross the bridge we're not them we don't want to be them and it's sometimes hard to to make that to make that leap to 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 say actually we need to be we're sometimes happier fighting with our clients than we are partnering with them yeah yeah because partner partnering requires compromise and uh, sometimes we don't like to do that but i think interestingly you know, I, I think it used to be that the path to success was about being uncompromising. And I remember growing up in the industry in the 90s, and that was very much the story. It was like, you know, you've just got to be difficult and, and awful and hard, and then they'll thank you in the end. I, I'm not sure they ever did, and they certainly don't now. And there's no profit in being a dick anymore, I don't think. Some of the bravest work that I've been partly responsible for is on the brass body form, you know, the taboo breaking work in that category. And that's been done in total partnership with the client. We could never have just tried to enforce our view of the world on them. They've been amazing partners on the whole journey. I don't think it can happen any other way now. But you need, you need it, it. That's the sort of X factor, isn't it? The X factor is how do you make a radical idea palatable how do you you know that that there's you knew your team knew there was a place to take this brand Mm. but it required a lot of bravery Mm. and so there's a skill in taking them from where they are to where you want them to be by holding their hand that is almost impossible to teach I think that's a brilliant definition there, make the radical palatable. That's a great way of thinking about the two different skills that you need. It's, it's, really, it's really hard to explain what that is. It's like, it's, it's like Craig, you said, like the humanness factor, but, um, you know, it's more, it's more than that, you know. Um, and uh, it's helping them see also it, 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 it's... Um, it's not that radical when it feels the right thing to do. Yeah. So there's a lot to that. Then it becomes, um, that's where we, we shine because we're very good at evidence. Mm. Yes. You know, I've always seen us compared to lawyers, you know, paired in court to prove our point, to use that evidence to persuade our clients that this isn't actually that radical. It's actually what's going on in culture. It's actually how people are speaking and what they're doing. Um, so it all, it all makes sense. So um, I noticed one of the things that you guys uh, were sort of, it was sort of like the Statue of Liberty and, you know, bring us your waste and strays. It was like, bring us your problems. Um, what, what was that something you had? Did you, is that, was that a no brainer for you that you were going to sort of, bring the pro- idea of problems to the fore. It, it, it was, it's an interesting Genesis story because we were over the weekend, you know, the, before the announcement last week, we, we were kind of thinking, oh gosh, okay, we know this is coming out there. And I, I remember calling Bridget saying, I think we should 
get a creative team to help us write an ad. And Bridget said, no, we should write an ad, but we should do it ourselves because nobody knows what we do better than we do. So it then came out in just a bit of a rush of inspiration. We've been thinking about this business for a long while, but that, that phrase and that framing happened probably the day before we knew we were going to be kind of the announcement was going to happen because it, it sort of happened in a little bit of a rush at the end. And um, I think it was one of those cases of, of a moment of clarity and sort of going, yeah, this is, this is what we do. This is what we love doing because we love solving problems and everyone has them. And they're also the, you know, they're the most rewarding and most infuriating part of any client's day, because wouldn't it be better if everything went smoothly and there were no challenges, but then solving those challenges is great. And I think everyone wants a partner when they've got a tricky problem in front of them and partnership is a lot of what we're offering. So that, that framing and the simplicity of the framing suddenly felt exactly right for us and and we, we quite enjoyed the the slightly old-fashioned thing of saying right if we're going to launch a thing we probably need to make an advert yeah Bridget your thoughts on the focus on the problem the problems I was, I was trying to avoid the whole Einstein give me an hour and I'll spend 59 minutes thinking of the problem but it's kind of true the better you can define the problem the more likelihood is that you'll find an interesting answer yeah and it is what we love to do we, we love to work out what the real issue is that we're trying to solve so when you when you look forward to how you're going to work it, do you see yourselves as sort of um uh, uh the center and then with with spokes of interesting people around you who you bring in on an as needed whether that's data or whether that's creative or exactly that yeah and I think we might even bring in other similar sort of brains to ourselves. So we might grow horizontally as well as create other connections. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we're, we're kind of in that purest view of saying we don't want to build anything that looks like an advertising agency. And, um, you know, call, call us back in a year or two's time when we've got something that looks a lot like an advertising agency and you can call us on it. But hopefully we won't get there. I mean, we, we were chatting um, the other week about the sort of United Artists model of this, whereby we'd love to be able to kind of expand the partnership a little bit to include strategists of our level of experience who've who've done great things, who are big thinkers, who have our philosophy on problems in life and, and kind of build capacity that way as a, as a kind of true partnership with, as you say, affiliates around us. So if we need to, you know, do some creative work or do some design or do some production that we've got uh, a whole bunch of people who can be a go-to um, and I, I think that's just how you design this discipline with a blank sheet of paper in 2021 yeah. um, rather than the kind of structures that we've we've come from which were probably designed back in the 50s yeah equally I think we could do there is a model that says we can do everything other than get to the executions because we've worked in situations where we've got to what we'd call a, a brand idea and then brief multiple different types of agencies to bring that to life. And that also feels to me a model that more and more clients are moving to, where they don't want just one agency all the time. They want a number of different ones to help them solve it. Yeah, no, that, makes, that, makes, that makes complete sense. Um, so what, where do you see what, what's happening in, are we just in this crazy COVID difficult time where everyone's, you know, nothing is, kind of quite normal and eventually we'll come out of it but meanwhile life um, has to go on what what was your what's your it, because there's different there's different um mindsets around it right now i mean there's a lot of like the mckinsey-ish bain consulting view of this more has happened in three months than has happened in five years and you know, we're talking about radical reinvention of business practices and processes and all this stuff. Um, and then, you know, you've got certain categories and sectors that have been kind of decimated. And so there's this weird, when you look out there in the corporate landscape, it's very inconsistent as to what's really happening. I mean, I think you've got to look back at what, what do people, what do people really want in life? And I don't happen to think that this is the end of like large groups of people getting together in spaces. 
as, as was conjectured at various stages, it's like, that's just total nonsense. You, you know, human, human desires and evolution have not been rewired in the last 12 months. Those things will return. I think all of the needs that people have will remain. I think the interesting thing is when economic models that were already under stress have been broken, you know, and whether or not you, you look at things like, you know, um, high street retail, and the structure of uh, rents and rates and taxes, not making that work in an internet world, um, that stuff is going to be hard to recover. But I think the things that people do will will return to normal remarkably quickly. I, I would I would still make a long term bet on travel. You know, I don't think travel's going to stop uh, because people love to travel and will continue to love to travel as long as it doesn't become, you know, impossibly complicated or impossibly expensive. So I think that will recover. Um, but other economic models are, are going to be hard to return to. As I say, I think I think physical high street retail is never going to be the same again. But it will come back in a different form. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, it, it's 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 interesting how many um, how many high street brands have just are just disappearing, you know, in the UK, and it's, it's the same over here. I mean, the, as you said, the retail retail category is being being decimated and you, you you either have the ability to digitize and turn on the switch or or you you, you didn't and you were sort of suffer the consequences as a as a result the, the fundamentals of the market will reassert themselves somehow though because you've got people who are owning buildings and need to get people to rent them and they'll find something they'll find a market level of rent that works for whoever wants to do something in that space you know that that will happen either that or the people who are mortgage the buildings will themselves go bankrupt and, and everything will change but then it will turn into residential or it will turn into leisure or it will turn into something else it's just going to take a little time i think one of the one of the things that's interesting is you know back to the humanity point i think the fact that people have been working from home um you know has they have realized that there's something there that you can do it. You know, it was sort of an abstract concept. Yes, I, I, I do think there are some things that have created greater efficiencies that people will want to hold on to. Yeah. And, and, and that means that I, I think certainly for things like agencies, it's like I, I, there better be something interesting about the office if I'm going to go back and work, if I'm going to go and work there. So I think, you know, how you conceptualize that space. Yes. Someone, someone say, it's got, we're talking about showroom. You know, I thought that was really interesting, that concept that now it's a showroom, it's not a workspace. It's like, this is where we're gonna really show what we do and uh, it's gonna be a, a truer experience. Um, and that you, that, that how are you gonna get clients into your office? If they're so used to talking to you on Zoom, there better be a damn good reason for it. Um, so I think way more experiential, way more collaborative uh, workspace is something we're probably going to see there. Sure. Um, and, you know, just this idea that we can do a lot without being in the office. I think that is a significant, probably significant change. And we, and we always could. I mean, again, it, it's sort of Bridge and I have been working sort of semi-remotely for a little while anyway, much more sort of, you know, moving around coffee shops, you know, meeting with clients in their premises, working wherever we felt we were most productive. And I think I think that was beginning already. Um, I think there was an attachment to the, the space because of community as much as anything else at times. And, you know, how you sustain cultures when people are not in a physical space is, has become a challenge, I think, um, for a lot of organisations and trying to keep something meaningful like culture is is really important but um yeah I, I think we'll just need to wait and see how it goes again i think a lot of it comes back down to economics because if businesses can save that kind of money on physical premises they will and they should um you know and, and maybe all those flexible you know uh, working spaces the we works of this world will will actually prove not to be such a ridiculous case after all <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of thinking done on there were your two modes of working whether that was sort of deep thinking by yourself or needing to collaborate and everyone used to say offices were, were supposed to be geared up to be able to do both those things and it felt to me quite often they didn't either thing very well 
they were neither the kind of collaborative spaces that were fun and exciting to want to be in so you know you, know, you were with people and you were going to get somewhere more interesting or they were the kind of space that you could do that sort of quiet deep thinking so maybe that's what will happen you'll do you'll have one work mode at home and the other one when you're yeah. in those spaces. I think that's really interesting I think another another um great point I've heard is you know when we were early on in our careers we learned more about our job and the way to act from spending evenings in the pub with our elders who mm -hmm. kind of told us told us the way of the land you know and we, after a couple of pints would explain why we screwed up that presentation and, what, what observation right I mean just seeing yeah people work around you and when you're when you're at that stage and and I, I think that's the challenge here I think for people like us who've been around for eons it, it's fine it's beautiful it works really really well I think if you're starting out your learning curve is compromised by just staring at screens because you don't get that thing where you're not actually in the conversation but it's happening near you and you can listen and you can go okay why did they say that why did they react in that way what's going on there that's gone uh, and I think that is a big challenge in terms of that informal learning, as you say, whether it's in the pub after work or just across the desk in an open plan environment. Cool. All righty. Then we're good. We've had a good conversation. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting hearing what you're up to, understanding uh, kind of philosophy. Um, so really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. It's been, it's been a great chance to, to try and explain ourselves to ourselves as much as anything else at this, this early stage. Yeah, well, I I'm wishing you guys the best of luck. I'm sure, I'm sure the, the phone will, will keep ringing constantly. Um, uh, and the more, more uh, stuff that gets out there, the, obviously, the better. I'll let you know when, um, when we put this up live. Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a good day. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.